SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast, AAC edition. My name is Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Buskirk. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm good. How are you? I'm all over the place a little bit, (laughs) but it's fine. I've got several meetings for several different jobs that I do and yeah. they're just one after the other. I still have actual work to do too today. So I'm excited to take this break to talk about college football because yeah, it's been a minute. It's so much better than listening to my boss's boss's boss drone on about like metrics because I need to be on that meeting for some reason. Uh, yeah. I'm much happier talking about college football. <laughs> yeah. Same. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, no, we are here today to go back and review bowl season in the AAC. It was kind of a very weird bowl season for the AAC, I'd say, yeah. in a couple of ways. First off, you had multiple wins over SEC teams, which I think is huge yeah. uh, in its own right. Though I know we all kind of go, how valuable is a bowl win, blah, blah, blah. It's whatever your personal value level you give to it is. Why do, why do people say it's not valuable? I've not heard that. I've heard it so many times in the past, like what? Few weeks. I've heard so many. Why? Times that, what is the main argument in saying that a bowl game is not they're valid? Just, they're exhibition games, and most players oh. see it as a vacation, not as like a game that they're trying to win. I depends on the no. That's, that's an crazy. argument you hear out of the SEC a lot. It's not an argument you hear out of G five, <laughs> right? Right. But it is something that I hear. You know, I, uh, that's crazy talk. I mean, I, as someone who has covered bowl games from the least important to the cotton bowl and going to the natty, you know, tomorrow, Ooh, the majority I am. See, we didn't I, talk about this. I know. Well, we will get there, but I, I, as someone who has been to all these things, I feel like my experience should carry a little bit of weight. I've been doing this eight years. I've been to almost every single bowl game possible and every single player I've talked to and every coach says, yes, there is an element of, fun to the bowl game experience, but that they do take it seriously. It's not a vacation. It's not a joke, especially when you're talking about things like transfers and um, looking for jobs, like coaches trying to build up resumes. I mean, mm-hmm. they take it seriously. It's it's not. So whoever saying that is that's bullshit. Just FYI. it's a, it's a narrative thing. You, you know, I'm getting it. Like there and, could be like one guy that said that one time and now that's, you know, and that's, that's an- but it's a narrative that gets baked into it. So that's yeah. something. Uh, anyways, along with those <laughs> wins were yes. three cancellations of bowls uh, mm-hmm. for AAC teams. And we'll talk about those briefly when we get to each one. I don't think we need to talk about the games that didn't happen, but I am going to go through them. We'll mention them. Yeah, exactly. Like We could say who we thought was going to win. I have that right next to me. Mm. I still have our, yeah. Perfect. Because I do also have our final prediction records for the year uh, coming in too. Yeah. Uh, but also the AAC sent a team to the playoff for the first time ever. So it was yes. a lot going on. We'll talk about Cincinnati, Bama, the Cotton Bowl. You were at it. So I'm going to let yep. you go for it. I thought watching the game on TV, they looked better than Michigan did. I thought they acquitted themselves well. They, yeah. uh, they didn't cover. Yeah, they lost by 21. Everyone loses by 21 in the semifinals. <laughs> Take it from a guy who's been covering Notre Dame since 2018. Everyone loses by at least 21 in the semifinals. I think what's I think this is what I'll say about it before, and then I'll go into it more later. Obviously, being in Dallas for it was incredible. Um, there were so many Cincinnati fans. Like I can't 
I can't even begin to explain to you the day of the game. I was in my hotel room at the Omni, which is where like the Cincinnati, I guess, headquarters was. And we were woken up by the sounds of chanting, cheering the band mm-hmm. at like 8 a.m. down at the bottom of the hotel, right under our window. People, Cincinnati fans were lined up, you know, listening to the band, cheering, chanting. At one point, USA chants broke out. So I, if if fans could win games for teams, Cincinnati would have won the game. But, you know, it, it doesn't work like that. On TV, you could definitely hear it was a more Cincinnati-driven oh, yeah. crowd. I yeah. also, to be cynical, I think Alabama fans who can afford to go to the semifinal said, why don't we just pay for the national championship instead? Because we know we're going. I think that happens a lot with a team like Alabama. We're like, well, we're here every year. We may as well go for the big one, which is very. Well, but the thing is, there's a lot of of Alabama fans in Texas. So I think like I, my boyfriend who came with me, his brother's, wife's family is from Alabama, big donors. And so like everybody knows somebody there that went to Alabama. So there was a lot of local yeah, Alabama people that filled the stadium. Um, it was about half and half. I yeah, would say but like lo- the person who lives in Birmingham and roots for Alabama was right. saying, if I'm going to go to one or the other, I'm getting my ticket for Indy. Yeah. And of course, because then you have the chance to face off against Georgia, which is all SEC fans care about anyways, is playing each other. So. By the way, did you see that journal? Like it was like the Atlanta journal constitution about how now Alabama fans in Georgia have to go to cold and expensive Indianapolis. I've never heard Indianapolis described as expensive before in my life. I would like, say maybe it's because I'm from the Northeast and yeah. like Boston and New York are expensive cities. Right. right. And I've spent like vacations in Miami where it's an expensive city. Yeah, that's New true. Orleans where the touristy parts can be expensive, but like I've never thought of anywhere in the Midwest as expensive except for the nice parts of Chicago. Indy is definitely one of those cities that is is on the rise. And I was just there for the Big Ten um, media day earlier in the summer and it has gotten, it's changed. It's it definitely is. more expensive now than it was. And it's more metropolitan. So it's very big city-esque in the Midwest. Um, I love Indy. I think it's great, but do I think it's good? Like, is it a great place for an SEC showdown? No. But like, like it's, it's, it's predetermined. If Michigan was in this game, it would be a really good location. It would. Yeah. But I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. I don't think that this is but, like, I, if I else? were one of the fans, I would Alabama, I would have gone to, to the cotton bowl because Texas is a way more fun, in my opinion, environment. Yeah. And Dallas has a lot more going on. So. I don't know. But, sure. But it's we'll just, see. I don't know. It felt we'll very, anyways, let's <laughs> go back to the start of bowl season and break yes. down the games that we had them in the AAC. Uh, that started with the Myrtle beach bowl, which we had our own personal issues with. Cause I was <laughs> sick at the time for yeah. a long enough time where I couldn't like really speak or yeah, you focus. Really sick. Yeah. Who knows what it was? Uh, you know, <laughs> Well, we grimace at that, but anyways. I can't believe the tax act also puts on this bowl. Just side note. I didn't realize that they put on more than one bowl game. Well, you know, Myrtle That's beach crazy. is like the perfect tax haven. So is it? No, no, oh, no. I was just like, saying I words. Know. I'm just saying words. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just didn't know that you could like sponsor more than one bowl game. Cause they also put on the Texas bowl. So yeah. anyways, sure. I, that, that got, was just, if you want to spend the money on it, go for it. <laughs> Myrtle Beach Bowl was, um, I was not that excited yeah. about it to start. We, and We didn't the, preview it. We talked about briefly. Right. I mean, fun. Tulsa was supposed to win the game, and I'm glad that they did. So mm-hmm. that, I think that's pretty much. 
I thought it was a, I mean, one of Old Dominion's touchdown. It was, by the way, sorry, Tulsa 30, Old Dominion 17. There's right. your score. Uh, yep. One of Old Dominion scored on like the opening kickoff of that game. So really Tulsa's defense for the rest of the game was a pretty dominant force against Old mm. Dominion. Good for Old Dominion to get there. Their 2019 season, they had like two wins, one win or two wins. Then they didn't play in 2020 due to COVID concerns. And then this season, they started out one and six. They finished six and six. That's a good year for them. Mm-hmm. That, that's, you know, Tulsa, on the other hand, like they started this year looking like they were going to go like three and nine and a half to fire at Phil Montgomery. And they mm-hmm. turned that around in a big way. And hey, seven and six is a winning season. That's not terrible for them. That's, yeah. Tulsa's not it's, an easy place to win. I know it's a little disappointing coming off a championship appearance, but like, it's not bad. I think it was cool that it was played at Coastal Carolina. Oh, yeah, I like that's I like the surf turf. I know some people yeah. have strong opinions about colored turf. I like the teal. I like the teal. I don't like other colored turfs, but I definitely like the teal. I like Davis Brin uh, throwing for 285 yards, two touchdowns, no turnovers, no yep. interceptions from Davis he, Brin. We he love looked a that. lot better than is he, yes. this year. He was just so inconsistent. So it was yes. good to see him play a good all around game. Yeah. Uh, I will say though. Tulsa is going to be losing a key piece of that defense because Jackson player hit the transfer portal. Mm. So I think that's something we'll actually talk touch on later is the transfer portal because every team's losing guys and every team's also gaining guys through it. So yeah. I think it'll be an interesting thing to talk about, but that's a huge loss for that defense. If he had stayed around another year, he's like the anchor in my opinion of that team. Yeah. But uh, Good win. Never knock a ball win. never knock never. a good season. Good year all around. Uh, Moving on, the yeah. Gasparilla Bowl, UCF 29, <laughs> Florida 17. I feel like we did talk about this, or did we just preview it? We just previewed it. Okay, we didn't talk about what happened. Okay. Nope, nope. We uh, managed to sneak it in there just in time for me to talk about twice. <laughs> good day for good day to be Dan Morrison. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you know, but UCF ran right over Florida, just yeah. out-physical the Gators, you know, smashed them in the mouth. Isaiah Bowser. And the offensive line for UCF just ran through him. A mm-hmm. huge day for Ryan O'Keefe in the passing game and the rushing game. Yeah. Um, defense looked excellent. Defense was, again, UCF won at the line of scrimmage and they physically dominated Florida. I know you, again, people go, oh, Florida didn't want to be there. It's just the guest probable. Yeah, they did. This was. It doesn't matter if they like don't want to be there. Game. When they're was, there, they're trying to win. It's not like they show up and they're like, okay, I'm not going to do anything. No, the competitive nature takes over and you get in the game. But this was also a huge in-state game in Florida. Yeah. Like, remember, guys who went to UCF and guys who went to Florida played together in high school or played against each other in high school yeah. most of the time. You know, these guys pool at certain football power schools. That's just kind of how high school football is. So mm-hmm. they all know each other. There was a lot of chirping back and forth before the game. There was a small fight after the game that someone in Florida had started. Florida had started. Okay. Uh, poor losers. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, and Mikey Keen did very okay in this game and he did enough. And yeah. I think that's all that after I kind of got in a little bit, I've been shaky with how much he was throwing the ball away at the end of the year. And it looked like if his first read wasn't there. He kind of bailed on plays. He looked a little bit more, I don't want to say comfortable, but more mm-hmm. willing to stay in and make the read. He still needs a lot of development to go if he's going to be the guy next year. But I was really happy with this huge win for UCF as a program. And I know yeah. that sounds silly because it's just the Gasparilla Bowl. And they, a few years ago, were playing in the Peach and Fiesta Bowl. But like, 
it's still huge to beat Florida. It's the first time they've ever done it. It's the first time they've ever beaten a big three school in the state. Very big deal. There was a lot of uh, moments in this game from, you know, Florida wide receiver, Justin Shorter being carted off the field oh, yeah, that was with the neck immobilization. Yeah. That's always scary when that happens. Um, the moment where they, you know, UCF honored Otis Anderson jr. Was incredible. And then, you know, there was the funny moment where, um, Florida linebacker Tyron Hopper lost his helmet. It was caught in Cole Schneider's yep. base mask. Speaking of funny, there was also the Parker Navarro thing where he like the, mm-hmm. he's like the UCF like third string quarterback, but he comes in and running situation sometimes. And he was running and he bounced out to the edge and he had a walk in touchdown and he tripped over his own feet and just kept trying to regain and said he landed mm. on his landed on his own head. Yeah. That was that was a pretty Always. good one if you're looking for a little lighthearted humor. Yeah, yeah, so there was there was a, a mirage of moments that were just ranging from emotional to funny to scary. So there was a yeah. lot. Of, it was a roller coaster in this game. But my question to you is: Okay, UCF wins it, mm-hmm. you know, pretty handily. Are you all in on the Gus bus? Like, is that is this? Yeah, I am. Okay, <laughs> I, there we go. I am a right. no, You should I was, be. I was happy. So I'll go back to when Gus first got hired. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was a realistic option, to be honest. I thought that he was probably either done coaching forever or was going to take one or two years off and then come back as a name like, you know, UCLA hires Gus Malzahn. You're like, okay, that makes some sense. It's a power five job. He's looking for a slightly easier, you know, he's got his money, blah, blah, blah. I wasn't expecting him to jump back in right away. I wasn't expecting it. To, it makes sense given the new UCFAD, Terry Mahajer hired him at Arkansas State originally to be the head coach mm-hmm. there. So like, he, but he's a, he's a ball guy. I, I, as knowing Gus Malzahn a little bit, I couldn't see him sitting out because he loves football so much. I was a little yeah. surprised at the UCF, you know, where he landed because I'm not going to mince words with you. It seemed a little beneath him at the time. I, I think he's one of the greatest coaches I, in my opinion. I get that. I, I think he doesn't get enough credit for how much influence he's had on the spread offenses existence. Yes, you know, which is part he, like, of what I wrote about wrote, with him. He literally yeah. wrote the book on it himself. Yes. You know, him and 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 um, and uh, Rich Rodriguez. I mean, I interviewed but, these guys about the start mm-hmm. of how they got into this offense that changed college football, and mm-hmm. people don't realize how how much he was influential in that. So you're right. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised that he went to UCF, but I, I think it's honest, a good union. Can I be honest with you? I thought that UCF was going to, and I wanted them to hire Rhett Lashley. Actually, what is everybody's obsession with this? So, Rhett La- well, first, I'll, t- I'll tell you. First off, he was he came to he had AAC experience at SMU as the OC uh-huh. there. He had gone to Miami, and their offense went from in one year basically being abysmal to incredibly exciting, and they took a big step forward with him. So, that's what it was coming off of was this he had turned the Miami offense around, which to me said he has AAC experience, he has Florida experience now, like he okay. kind of has those footholds. Uh, I like the offensive minds. I like the speed to it, but he himself is a Gus Malzahn disciple. Like he was Gus. He was followed Gus. Yeah, that's right. He he played under him. That's right. Okay. That's where I had known the name. He was an Auburn OC until I think 2016 under Gus. Like he was the Arkansas. Mm -hmm. No, he wasn't at Arkansas state, but he was like, Gus took him to like his first few college stops with him. So like, there's a huge connection there, which I thought was interesting once Gus did get hired, was that the guy I wanted was, I guess, the pupil. A, de- a, Gus a disciple, hired. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, so I thought that interesting. Was interesting. I, you know, I just, I really didn't want to be Jeff Blebby at the time. Yeah. Blebby, who had been like campaigning hard. He was the OC under Josh Heupel originally before he took the Ole Miss OC job. Now he's at Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, and Dylan Gabriel actually followed him to Oklahoma. He was not so secretly texting the old players to like be like very political for him online and like make a statement that they want Levy. And like, it's crazy. I wonder if that even matters. I mean, the fact of who Jeff Levy is in his time at Baylor is what matters to me more than anything else. His record there is very, very bad. I don't think, I think he gets a huge pass because his last name isn't Bryles, but he deserves a lot more backlash for that than he gets. Uh, Anyways, yeah, great one for UCF. Love to to see it. Moving on. Excited for the next year to see what Gus does in year two. That's what I'm excited for. I'll be interested to see what happens at quarterback very specifically. I mean, the UCF spread, again, we'll talk about transfers later. I like Mikey Keene's potential. Mm -hmm. I think you need to bring in some competition because I'm not, you know, he, you can't just bank on him taking a huge step forward. He will. Gus will bring in guys. I'm not worried about that because he, he, people recruiter. want to play in his offense. Yeah, exactly. So. That, that's the thing I really loved is the recruiting. Yeah. You see if gets up ready for the big 12 because you need to have depth once you move to the power five. Uh, Can we please talk about the Houston game next? No, I have to talk about two games that got canceled first. <sighs> okay. Fair we'll enough. do it really, really quickly. Okay. Hawaii Bowl, Memphis, Hawaii. Uh, Oof. COVID issues within the Hawaii program slash desire to be there with and the players, I believe, got the game canceled. Congratulations on your free Christmas vacation to Hawaii, Memphis, military bowl, ECU, Boston college, Boston college said they were down like 40 players and couldn't play the game. I, this one stung a little bit more. Yeah. The Hawaii bowl for me is a great Christmas Eve tradition, but this one mattered so much to ECU that it stunk to lose it. Yeah. Uh, Sucks to lose it. I thought it was going to be a pretty good game. Yeah. Now, if you would like, we can talk about the Birmingham. Yes, Birmingham Bowl. Let's Birmingham do it. Bowl, Houston 17, Auburn 13. You have things to say. I just, I was so excited. And the game was tumultuous. You know, yeah. there was a lot of times Houston looked really good. And then there was times they would let the foot off the gas, you know, and. The it's, first drive of the game, Houston looked excellent. And then well, they all like, like you say, good. They always do though, because like you said, you've said this many times, Holgerson is such a great um, script scripter like he scripts that opening drive incredibly he i think he gets to like the next drive but that's when they have a drop off is after they go away from his like scripted game plan and they have to like actually play the game of football within the game adjustments and change right then they they start to to waver but i thought the defense really kept them in this um you know because everybody's always looking great without marcus jones exactly which which is you hate to not see him play but you you have to you understand it you know i yeah, I mean, we can talk about all that stuff, I think, at mm-hmm. a little bit later, opt-outs, transfers. Like I said, I do think there's a long conversation to be had about all that, and you know, yeah. who, who knows if we're the right person to have it. I think we're better than Kirk Herbstreit to have it, to be honest, because he missed the mark when given the chance. Uh, yeah, it's tough. There's really no right way to talk about players opting out. Like, you can have an opinion about it, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, yeah. like... I, if a player wants to opt out, I say more power to them. If they want to play, I say more power to them. I try not to judge about it because, and we'll talk about more later. I had a ton of fun this bowl season, whether like <laughs> the peach bowl was a ton of fun without Kenneth Walker and Kenny Pickett. Yeah. Like it was still fun. a fun game. Yeah. You know, like the sugar bowl, it sucked to see Matt Crawl go down, but I'm not like 
I hate to beat my chest. He did it the right way, implying that like Chris Olave, for instance, did it the wrong way. You yeah. know what I mean? That's just not right in my mind to approach things like that. Uh, you know, but yeah, the Birmingham Bowl was a really good example of the uh, Houston defense stepping up and yeah. you know, and like playing without one of those players, having someone come in and take that spot. Uh, they know, never make it easy. The one thing about Houston this season is they do not make, there's never a point where you're like, yeah, they're definitely going to win because they're in control. Of this game. <laughs> yeah, no. it's like They always make it a challenge, which I, you know, God yeah, bless them I for thought, the drama. Yeah. I thought Clayton Toon struggled in the mm-hmm. middle part of this game a lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was that one trick play Houston called, do you know the one I'm referring to where it was a, like, I want to say it was a pitch out when they turned around and threw like the length of the field. Oh yeah. And yes. it got intercepted <laughs> as you're trying to throw the plate in tune and you've got an SEC right. player covering him. Right. And it just was one of the worst trick plays I think I've ever seen yeah. uh, attempted. Yeah. And it made no sense because it was like the first time all second half they had any momentum on offense. And they said trick play time. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? God bless uh, him. God bless Dana Hogerson. Before we go on, I think it's worth pointing out the Birmingham Bull Trophy is a blacksmith with his, with his ass out. I think that's very important. We note in uh, mm. Houston, if you go to their Twitter page, had a whole series of photos of him, of him around the city with his ass out. So that, that was good. I kept seeing Holgerson like with, with the, the trophy. He was, weird the with plane. The tro- he was weird with the trophy. Yeah, yeah, and then he was like at his house, like by the pool. There was like it was a very interesting. It was a whole thing that Houston was doing with that trophy. Yeah, it was funny. But I, I will say I like this. Holgerson after the game, um, I think someone must have asked him about Cincinnati. Um, and so he was talking about them being on a roll, blah, blah, blah. Now they're going to play Alabama. And he had he had what is my favorite quote of the postseason where he said, maybe they can beat the SEC too. Just <laughs> so much smoke oh, yeah. in that. I was dead. And, I, and obviously they didn't, but... Houston can hang their hat on that. They they were fine though. They acquitted themselves well. We'll talk about that in I think literally like literally 30 seconds from now or whatever. You have one more game to talk about being canceled, right? We do, but one more thing on the Birmingham Bowl while it's on my mind. Dana Holgerson reportedly shouted into the press conference from Brian Harson, the Auburn head coach, that he was taking too long because he was the losing coach and he doesn't get to take that long. And that was one of the funniest things about bowl season to me. That's something just, I feel like Mike Leach would do. That's well, like a Mike Leach. Thing. Apparently, the reporters were saying, "Well, yeah, I mean, isn't Dana and Mike Leach the same kind of coaching tree?" Uh, yes, there might be a reason for that. Uh, yeah. But no, apparently, Brian Harson was like taking like ten minutes a question to like try to like explain away Auburn season, and if he doesn't win ten games next year, he's fired. Yeah, but that's a he should have never been hired. I don't, I don't understand he that. I don't. Did I don't. not make fit. He's not a cultural fit, and then he's it's exactly work. like it, it doesn't make any sense to me why you would hire somebody like that. A Pacific a, Northwest guy for a yeah. Southeast job. It, it, I know, like sometimes regionalism is too strong. Like Nick Saban's from West Virginia and went to college in Ohio, and he, you know, what I mean, like it's okay that he's doing fine yeah. stuff. You know, Brian Kelly just got hired by LSU. He's from Boston. Had spent his entire career in the midwest maybe he'll be fine who knows yet that's all predictive but like yeah at the same time you could kind of see you know what it was at Auburn was that the boosters were trying to force uh steel into being the head coach mm-hmm. and the ad basically had to flex and say no i'm in charge here here's my hire and they ended up with this yeah and it's a mess uh anyways yeah finway bowl canceled i was supposed to be there didn't happen because once again canceled due to issues within the virginia program 
uh, I believe the SMU equipment truck got stuck between two highway overpasses that it was. I saw that. Yeah. Not sure how it got past the first one, but I'm pretty happy that that is a thing that happened and came out of this game because I was looking forward to getting to go do it, but unfortunately not uh, because Virginia had, I think a position group that was completely out something like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Unfortunate. What I was really frustrated with, with these cancellations, just to touch on it, was how close to the actual bowl game they all happened. It made it yeah. feel like the teams were just trying to get their extra practices in and then be like, oh, no, we don't have any quarterbacks. Sorry, mm. can't do it. But like can't the day it. before, like you knew you were at least potentially having issues well before that and could have potentially either found a replacement like the Gator Bowl did or let the other team find a new game to go to, like what happened with the Arizona Bowl where Central Michigan went over to the Sun Bowl instead. Yeah. Which, whole other story huge huge financial swing for the for the mac <laughs> and went from like three hundred thousand dollars distributed 12 ways to like three and a half million dollars distributed 12 ways or something like that yeah it's crazy huge windfall for that conference uh anyways the cotton bowl college football playoff semifinal. yes Cincinnati six alabama 27 you were there tell me about was it. i was it was incredible um i mean and when i say incredible the game itself was not incredible it was nowhere near what people had hoped for heading into it um but the the atmosphere the environment for a semifinal i've been to most of the places i've never been to the orange bowl but i've been everywhere else and the cotton bowl does such an incredible job so it's a big shout out to the people that do the put on the cotton bowl scotty rogers michael conrad like they do just the media hospitality suite was incredible um, for the media that did come and we had to switch to virtual you know mm-hmm. so that was an adjustment but they did a great job of um you know, just taking care of people and having it be a great experience. Uh, the fans were great. All of the, you know, pageantry around the game was incredible. Game itself, not great. And I think boring, yeah. I think this is how I feel it shook out is Cincinnati came into the game thinking Alabama was gonna do what Alabama does. Throw and having ball. no yeah, and having no frame of reference because they've never played them, they I think they just didn't understand that like one of Nick Saban's strengths is pivoting. I mean, mm-hmm. whenever you think you haven't figured out his favorite thing to do is do the exact opposite, which is why we saw Bryce young run for more yards than Desmond Ritter. Like Desmond Ritter had negative rushing yards, which is insane. I'm going to talk about Desmond Ritter in a minute because he, <laughs> he got on my nerves in this game, but no, no, it was the, how perfect. are you throwing passes that are getting batted down? So I, I was, I was like, surprised when Alabama came out and just was like, Hey, let's run the damn ball. But I, once I they think said, some people were surprised though, like know, that much. I know. But when they were like that, I was like, okay, yeah, they're leaning. They know that. Yeah. You know, Cincinnati has got a secondary full of NFL corners and safeties. Mm-hmm. And they've got an NFL defensive and rushing the passer and they have AAC linebackers to stop the run. Right. And so they said, we're just going to get eight yards of carry on you and do it that way. Mm-hmm. And the second they started doing that, I said, all right, it, Cincinnati is going to have to figure that out quick. Yeah. Uh, there's an injury to Cincinnati's <laughs> nickel corner. <laughs> yeah, an injury to Cincinnati's nickel corner, like right before the half, had the fourth string in to get burned for that uh, long touchdown to make it mm-hmm. 17, what was it 17 3 or 17 6 at that point? 17 3, right? Yes, 17-3. Yeah, because it was the second half field goal that Fickle settled for where I said, well, there's a surrender field goal. This game's definitely over then if they're not going to try to force the issue. Uh, Didn't like that call for him to settle for a field goal twice. 
Uh, There's no creativity from him. You did see Ritter come out in the beginning of the second half and show a little fight. He did yep. do a little, he looked like a more normal self, but, but this is, it felt like somebody told him a lot, like three or four at least, was, at least. Because I noticed that since I defensive ends were literally dropping into coverage on certain like looks from Ritter where they're like, okay, we know he's going to be trying to throw a slant over our head. I'm just going to drop back and bat it down. Which yeah. I mean, goes to how well Alabama studies film and they've got the resources to have someone for every little detail of the game, but like, it's insane. Yeah. You know? uh, but yeah, what you're saying about Ritter, sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you No, it's okay. It, it just really looked, I mean, he was sacked six times. It looked like somebody told him, do not be the agent of chaos that you normally are because that's too risky and we can't afford any of those mistakes or any of you know that stuff so just be more calm stay back don't take the risks you normally do so it looked like somebody told him to do that and that he wanted to follow that order but was at war with internally who he is which is Mm -hmm. an agent of chaos as a quarterback and so he was struggling so he was in this no man's land like a halfway didn't really know what to do and a lot of times he looked lost and I honestly, I don't know if this is true and I, I'll probably never be able to confirm it, but I blame a little bit of the coaching staff for not just letting him be like, that's how you got there. Why well, would you not let him just run rampant? And and that's the thing is it felt like he in particular and the offense in general tensed up in this game. I yeah. thought the defense was fine. 27 points to Alabama is a good show. Yeah, it's, frankly. it's great. Actually. It's a good show. Yeah. Like it's a really good showing. <laughs> They, they attacked you at your weak point. You didn't give them anything in your strong points. Like, and they forced Bryce Young to throw only his second interception of the season. So. Exactly. Like you had, you had a very good game defensively. If you're since that, frankly, you had a really good game special teams wise. Because mm-hmm. I mean, the punting, I was the very punting was with. incredible yeah. job on punt coverage and incredible yeah. job booming those punts. I believe there was a muff that they failed to recover. That was pretty big. If I'm remembering correctly, it's been about a week and I mix up my muffs <laughs> sometimes. Uh, yeah. Ew. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized after I said it, I said, yeah, that's gross. Whoops. It is what it is. I mix them up sometimes. Uh, oh my God. Okay. God I don't know if I can get I don't know if I can get back through that. Anyways, okay, they also made two field goals, which is a thing they yes. were not doing this season. They were like 50% <laughs> from field goals. So like it was a good game from the special teams. It was a really great game from the defense. It was just the offense clammed up in you know, Ritter was holding the ball too long. He was indecisive the way he hasn't been indecisive since I feel like the UCF game in 2018 when he was a true freshman. So my, like my, he was indecisive like this and was like scared to make a decision and taking sacks. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And, it looked, it was, it looked like you couldn't have, you told me that that was Asma Ritter. Like, and if, it just, if, it goes, he's not an NFL quarterback the way some people think he can go into the draft and be a first or second round pick. I think when he, he plays with his be. reckless abandon, he can, but he, but he just he didn't do that. So, but the, my point is that's a defense full of NFL players on it. At least guys mm-hmm. will spend time in the league, many of whom will be pro bowlers, most likely. That's just how Alabama functions. And like, mm-hmm. if that scares you, you can't be an NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to stare that down and be confident, get the ball out quicker than they can get you, even if your offensive line is wilting because they're not capable of blocking them. Right. You know what I mean? You need mm-hmm. to be able to stand in there and get it. He Instead, he kind of scrambled around, held the ball too long, and took sacks. And, yeah. you know what? and Alec Pierce needed to have a better game too. 
Oh yeah. He dropped a touchdown. He wasn't getting open the way he needed to. You know, he was actively talking so much shit to the Alabama sideline. And I was like, bro, for what? You're not doing anything. He dropped a touchdown and that's unacceptable for me. (laughs) I would have tied the game at seven early and like probably would have been a seven, seven game going into the second quarter instead of seven to three. And since I kind of take their momentum. We were talking about how, you know, Cincinnati holding Alabama to this many points is impressive. What isn't impressive in in that defensive effort is that you led a team that was averaging 147.6 yards per game rushing, Mm -hmm. which was the lowest in 15 seasons under Nick Saban. You let them rush 301 yards on you. 300. Yeah. 301 is a massive number. That's a lot. At the same time. That's too many for you to not figure out what they're doing. I don't. In in their defense for that though, they were only an average rush defense to begin with. And Alabama said, we're going to do this basically every play. They really did. They should have held held them closer to 200 than 300. Mm -hmm. But you know, they, I don't get too mad at them for it. I'm just saying why. that number to me is extremely glaring when you're and looking at you're Cincinnati, that's you needed to make Alabama prove they could beat you running the ball and you and Alabama prove they could beat you running. the they ball. They did. They did. They absolutely did. And if I'm, if I'm, you know, Georgia coming into this game, I'm really not sure how, what I'm going to do because clearly I'm, they're not as bad rushing as people thought, you know, like and they, they figured out a, well, around it. So Georgia's got, we talk a lot about how good Georgia's defense is. I think mm-hmm. as a college football, we I'm talking and mm-hmm. they've got Jordan Davis up the middle who makes it almost impossible to up the middle. And then the Kobe Dean who is really good at filling those gaps and getting to the quarterback and doing those things. I think you need to, if you're Georgia, find a way to properly contain the outs, the edges, because that's where they're a little bit slower is on the edges than Alabama. And Mm-hmm. You also need to get to Bryce Young because your secondary can cover for a little bit, but they can't cover for five, you know, three, four, five seconds. And Bryce Young will find some. So I, I mean, we'll talk about the championship a little bit, I guess. But so I just had to say that because I, I think they have to blitz him heavy. I think they have to blitz Bryce Young and hit him. I don't even think that's going to matter because Bryce Young is about the most calm human being I've ever seen in my life. Well, well if he for for his age. It's crazy. It doesn't matter what your heart rate is. If your back is on the ground, then you can't really throw a football. So like, I don't think that I'm you get him. You, I don't, he's I'm not so, saying you're going to stress him out. I'm not saying you're going to stress him out. I don't think, I don't out. think you I'm get saying, him on the ground. Well, he is incredibly, if you, he is he incredibly wears, he good weighs, at dodging defenders. Yes, like he weighs like nothing. And if you, if you think about a 300 pound person that's coming at him and he's only what, you know, 150 soaking wet, it I mean, the, he's more than that, but it was the Miami game. The very first Alabama game this year, I was watching it with my friend. Who's a huge Alabama fan, just being annoying mm-hmm. about things because he picked up and like every Alabama fan. Well, he, we're, I mean, we're both from Massachusetts. He's a Washington football uh, fan for the NFL, which is a thing that we tend to give a hard time for because why not just be a Patriots fan, but. So he said, if I'm going to be, did you see little side note? Did you see that Ron Rivera and I have the same t-shirt? Did you see my post? I did not. I missed. So Ron Rivera, just side note on Washington football team real quick. He is a member at my country club here in Monterey. It's called MPCC Monterey Peninsula country club. And he, in an interview last this past week was talking on zoom and he's wearing our club sweatshirt. It's a 17 mile and it's this little 
like circle. It's a 17 mile, which is the drive here mm-hmm. that people drive along in Pebble Beach. Okay. And it has our logo and I have the exact same thing in a t-shirt. So I put it on, <laughs> took a picture and put it next to his. And was like, when you have the same taste in clothes as Ron Rivera. Awesome. I'll have to go look that up because I did. It was a pretty cool moment to see. So I I've been weird on Twitter lately. I just like, no, it's, it's fair. No, my, my hours on Twitter have been weird. It's when I wake up, it's when I go to bed, it's like around lunchtime, but then from like one to like 10 PM, I'm just, I forget to look. I need Uh, to be on Twitter less is my problem. So anyway, Uh, so your friend is a, he's, he's a Washington, but like, yeah. And then in like 2012, because I grew up a Notre Dame fan, as everyone knows, I've got too many teams that I root for and it's Mm -hmm. annoying to everyone, but me, I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, Notre Dame did this thing where they went unbeaten in the regular Mm -hmm. season and went to the BCS championship game. He, because I was watching it a lot, started to get into college football at that point too. Mm -hmm. And said, you know what? I'm going to be annoying and root for Alabama. And then Alabama, uh, 42, 14, they ran right through Notre Dame in that right. game. It was just like a mismatch in terms of size and strength and speed and mm-hmm. everything. And he's been an Alabama fan ever since because it's ruined my night. <laughs> you know what though? It's like, then that's fine. Like how people's Plus, fandoms like, are born. Exactly. Shouldn't matter. I don't really care that much. And he went to Catholic U, which is a D3 school in Washington, D.C. Yeah. So if you don't have a school of your own, right. Like I went to St. Mary's and they have no football Mm -hmm. and their basketball I hate. So it was like I I was allowed to choose my own affiliations. And that's how I ended up a Kansas basketball fan. Like I have no reason other than I watched Kirk Heidrich play one time. I was like, this is amazing. So I'm a fan. Exactly. And that's why I like don't let it bother me that I root for like three or four teams depending yeah. on the day of the week. You know what I mean? Because you like, shouldn't. because I, I, you know, I established them all over time pretty naturally. It wasn't like I yeah. woke up at the age of 20 and said, I'm a college football fan. Now who am I rooting for? Let me grab one of these, one of those, one of two of that. You know? It's like, even if you did, I would support, I support bandwagon fans if they throw themselves in it. Like if you throw yourselves in that, you know, culture and that fan base, do you do you? It doesn't matter how you get there. Just, I support you. So fair enough. You that's know. how I feel about it. So, but yeah. Well, anyways, yeah. Cincinnati, you know, losing, no, losing the cotton bowl. They also lose, you know, the respect sadly for a group of five teams, not I being able to show that's fair at all. It doesn't I, matter I if it's fair. It's true. They we all knew up. the stakes going in. They I, had I, to win this game. I thought they had to cover. I didn't think they had to win for the, like, well, they had if, to play better than they did. If so. they say they had scored that touchdown in the first half that um, mm-hmm. was dropped by, you know, Alec Pierce. Uh, <laughs> he has, and it was the final score 26 to 10 and they still don't cover. Does that change it at all? Like, or if, you know, say they, both, I think scoring a touchdown, touchdown would have changed everything. They didn't score yeah. one touchdown. Yeah. Well, I think that would have changed uh, things. I mean, sure. But they I, didn't. And this is I mean, where we are. Notre Dame didn't score a touchdown against Clemson in 2018, and they made it in two years later. So, like, but Notre Dame is Notre Dame. I mean, we all know this is the thing. If you're a Cincinnati fan, if you're a group of five fan, you knew going in that Cincinnati had a lot of responsibility on their shoulders. With great power comes great responsibility to represent the, the, the small guy, and they did not do it. So now everybody gets to say, We told you so. You don't, you don't get to have a power five you know, group of five school in there because they can't compete. And it sucks. I am right there saying this is terrible and it's not indicative of the talent in group of five, but that's the way the world works. 
13 out of the 16 semifinal games have been multiple score losses, most of them blowouts, like unequivocal blowouts. Uh, so I just, I get frustrated with, and you're not wrong necessarily. There's going to be people who say, we gave the G5 their shot. They lost by 21, remember? Right. And no, then, but no one goes, oh, we gave the Big Ten their shot. They lost 33 to 11. You know, right. they lost by 22. Because they're a power five. They they don't I, have to do that. And I get it. And that's but Cincinnati had to do it. For years has been yeah. with this stuff. Uh, also, that reminds me. Uh, I don't know if that reminds me, but <laughs> do you follow Mackenzie Milton on Twitter? I do not, no. He was tweet. He was live tweeting this game. And he had comments. <laughs> that's fun for him. Let me, no, no. He was talking nonsense well not nonsense i agreed with a lot of it <laughs> um, about the difference between 2017 ucf and 2021 cincinnati let me read this tweet for you real quick biggest difference in me comparing 2017 ucf and this cincy team is the d-line pitt tristan tony shakim joey titus those are all ucf players from that team right uh, bama can run the ball whenever they want right now not the case against those boys from orlando love that uh and then he said he quote tweeted and then said, I'm not going to bother talking about the offense. That's a waste of my time because UCF would have scored points against the Alabama team. Make no mistake about it. So I know the metrics. And he, he also complimented other guys in Cincinnati, like Sauce Gardner and blah, blah, blah. But I love those tweets about just straight up. I do think the 2017 UCF team would have acquitted itself better than this Cincinnati team did, who I thought did a fine job, all things considered, because that's what we see in every semifinal anyways. You know? Yeah. But yeah, I think against you know this Alabama team that 2017 UCF team I don't know that they win it you know what I mean but I think that it's closer I think it's probably a higher scoring game well just that we just won't know we'll never know that's it just sucks no I know and it's just I thought that was very interesting to those comparisons Mm -hmm. are always that is yeah because that UCF team I think Oh, I'm not going to say, I think I know that they deserved a shot at the playoff because they were unbeaten. I have a firm belief if you're unbeaten, that means you should be in a playoff. Otherwise it's not really a playoff. Right. You know what I mean? If like, you know what I mean? If, Oh, you did all the things right. Except this other thing that we decided just now that you're not in the right grouping of people, (laughs) you know, then just admit it. And then there's second classes. And so that frustrates me. Uh, Yeah. National championship game, Alabama, Georgia. Are you someone who's so sick of this type of matchup? Are you excited because it probably is the two best teams in the country this year? And that's fun to watch the two best teams play. I think you could be both. I think you can be excited for what will hopefully be good football, but you can also be sick of the narrative. I mean, it's, yeah, they're not, you know, they're not exclusive. You can be both. And I'm definitely both. I'm very excited to see a SmackDown. I'm really hoping that we don't, they don't play cautious. You know, we don't see that because they're scared to, to turn over the ball forfeit first. Um, I'm picking yeah. Alabama because I think there's no way in hell that, that Nick Saban lets Kirby smart beat him. I tend to on agree. On a national stage. I so. think Alabama wins too, just because, well, I would be so much more excited for this game if the SEC championship game was 38-35 or 24-21. Like it was close. Just, if it was yeah. just a competitive game. I don't care if it was low-scoring competitive or high-scoring competitive. I'd be so much more excited for this. But, like, I thought that Alabama exposed so much of what Georgia had flaws and that we had kind of ignored because they had, frankly, had kind of an easy schedule this year. Like, the hardest game that they won was, like, Kentucky. 
maybe Clemson if you're going to give Clemson that credit, but I don't know that I am with that offense is that Clemson offense was bad this year, like really bad. So like what's there to give credit to this Georgia team doesn't move the ball on offense effectively. Stetson Bennett looked great in the uh, orange bowl, but over the course of the season, he looked very meh at quarterback. Their offense in general is meh. Their defense yeah. is obviously great, but like if Alabama can get into the secondary and pick that secondary apart again, oh, what's the point in watching? If it's not going to be a close game, I get that it's full of NFL talent and stuff, but you know, Kirby Smart has to do something significantly different strategically to win this game. Yeah, And I don't know that he's got that ability to pivot the way Saban does. You know, he does what yeah. he does very well, but he's, he's figured out. I feel like he's figured out. He's a little too arrogant. I, I feel like, and this is something I thought I'd never say, think, is that Nick's, maybe, maybe Nick's even knows what he is and what he isn't, but is willing to understand that there's things that he doesn't know. Kirby Smart strikes me as someone who just feels like he has to act like he knows everything all the time. Stubborn. And I think that's going to be his. No, he, he's stuck. He's stubborn, Kirby is. Stub- he wants to win it the way he wants to win but it. But he's arrogant in that's thinking that he knows everything on how to do that. That's fair. It's yeah. like he's a great recruiter. He's a great developer. Obviously, that's how they get to this point. But his refusal to modernize the offense, mm-hmm. thing- and I think that's just the simplest way, his refusal to play with a modern offense okay. is going to hold Georgia back for however long he refuses. Yeah. Which so far has been, what, six years? Whereas Nick Saban was willing to hire Lane Kiffin, a person who you could just tell he hated on a very personal level. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, hated they did him. not get along. Oh, yeah. but, the stories I've heard of that, of the offices during those time between him and Lane are just epic. Just epic stories. But, but the same I mean, that's the thing is like Nick Saban is not too proud to admit that there's things he doesn't know and he should surround himself with people who people know. that can help him yeah and, and I, I think kirby and say what you will for lincoln and he is as close to an offensive genius as there is in the sport in terms don't of that understand guy. how football acumen can come in that form because he is an a moron otherwise oh i'm not saying he's a smart person i'm saying i know i don't I, but i'm, I'm saying, saying i agree with you i don't understand though how god okay. makes somebody that smart at football and that's stupid it's his, ab- it's his absolute tech he knows how to run an offense and he knows god doesn't give with both hands i, I guess is really it's really i'd say it. lane kiffin's also a pretty good recruiter He'll, he's he is who he follow-up. needs to be but if you want to see through it you can yeah, I've know. also heard stories like I know a kid that he recruited and he was trying to get him to play there and he hit on his mom profusely throughout the oh, whole visit. Obviously, and that was just like a Kiffin. huge, yeah, but that was a huge like turnoff yeah. for the well, for the family. Fair enough. So I mean, why would you do that? Like he has, he has no like stupid. social. Like, because you're Lane Kiffin and you're stupid. There's he's no like way. on the spectrum, man. Like he has no social graces. Like he doesn't understand social cues. Like, yeah, don't video? hit on the mom of the recruit that you're trying to get to play at your school, maybe. Did you see the video of him at a mall from a few months ago where he was like scared to go near the railing? No, but that he's does not afraid of heights or something like that. No, he, I find all you need Kiffin to know about Lane endless- Kiffin is you need to look at who he follows on Twitter. That's it. Everybody out there listening, everything you need to know about Lane Kiffin is in his Twitter. All you need to learn about anyone. Specifically him. Just go look at who he follows and then you'll understand what I'm saying. (laughs) I I think he's an endless wall of entertainment that doesn't make him a good person. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> did you like bowl season this year? You know, it was, it was weird. I like, obviously liked it better than last year. Anything, anything in the, is a step in the right direction where we get to have real games and, you know, people can go to them. So it was better, but it definitely, the crescendo of all of the COVID stuff towards the end was very hard, especially because mm-hmm. you got to have this whole season and you want to see the, the culmination of the hard and work. It just, so. And it got ripped away from several teams yeah. because and that it, was sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that really sucked. So that is the damper on it. The games that yeah. did get played, I found on the whole to be incredibly entertaining. Yeah. You know, I thought it there was, was a couple of games that were great, but like the music city bowl was one of the better games I can remember mm-hmm. in a while. That was a ton of fun. Ended yeah. on a dumb note. Was that packed full of refs who called him down by uh, forward <laughs> progress? Uh, I think it was packed 12 refs. It probably was. was. <laughs> um, you know, they're like, can't review it down by forward progress. I was like, no, he wasn't. He was still moving forward when they, and they didn't blow the whistle and they weren't working it. I thought the Rose Bowl was incredible, getting oh, to Rose see Bowl Ohio so State, good. Utah, you know, uh, battle Fiesta, it out. The Fiesta Bowl was an incredible game, too. It didn't mm-hmm. work out. It was Notre Dame's, like, biggest blown loss or, since, like, 2003 or something like that. Marcus Freeman's first game, there's tons of storylines. And it was in the end, 37-35 was an excellent, exciting game. Uh, I really like the, the Mayo Bowl because you get Shane to see Beamer North so Carolina, South Carolina. Yeah, they do have fun. And you know what? I don't know how I feel about Shane Beamer as a head coach long term. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think he largely got the job because his last name's Beamer. And that's yeah. just the thing. That Kiffin, <laughs> Kiffin got several jobs because his last name's Kiffin. You know what I mean? To go yeah. to go back and pile on to the guy, but. I will. But he can but handle yes. it. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? yes, he can. But like he, the reason he got like the Tennessee job and the Raiders job was because his dad's Monty Kiffin and invented yeah. the Tampa too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's. You know, Speaking of the Raiders, real quick, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, you're, there's no way you believe that, right? I believe Jim Harbaugh took a nearly fifty percent salary cut last year because he had failed, and now I believe he'd like that money back after going to the playoff and winning the Big Ten. That's what and I. That's think fine. Happening. I don't think that. I don't I think, think that this has. Is, any, you no, think he's just planting I, that I so think, he gets more money? Yeah, I think this is his. Well, he doesn't have an agent, but like people who close to him planting that and like. Maybe he is actually talking to the Raiders just to get the money out of Michigan again. But no, I, I think he wants his money back. I don't think he's leaving uh, anytime soon. He, you know, at least I don't think so. Who knows? Because he's been a guy who bounces around a little bit anyways. You know what I mean? I just was- saw also a post. Now, we've been talking about Grant Wells, the quarterback oh, yes. from Marshall, a little yep, bit. Yep, yep. And the, the transfer portal, him using, utilizing it, he's going to be gone from Marshall this year. I was told, you know, that from somebody, uh, you know, in Marshall that he had been talking to um, West Virginia. Did I say West Virginia or Virginia Tech? Virginia Tech. BT. Virginia Tech for a while. That's right. Um, and that they had been going back and forth and that, that he was going to end up there, perhaps. I just see an article now written. And this is my issue with the transfer portal. I think it's great. And it's also bad. It's good and it's bad. It's good for the players, gives them options, but it also lets people who are crybabies take advantage of something and makes it harder for coaches. You, you have your own opinion. I, and you, I was gonna, can, I'll tell you in a minute, but you go on with your story. You can weigh in. But uh, this is the thing. Whether or not we think it's good or bad, it's there. People are going to utilize it, whatever. I don't like when there's stories like this where they say that social media ran off wells. Social media is the reason that Grant Wells is leaving 
Marshall. That's what that's this article true. is written. Yeah, it's 100% not true. But somebody funny. somewhere wrote that thinking, this is a great take I'm going to put on the internet. And, and Grant Wells, to his credit, quoted it. It was like, this could not be further from the truth. I never felt anything but love from the Huntington community and will always be grateful for that. The reality of this situation is that every player, I'm not going to say every, but a lot of players in group of five mm. are looking for a power five opportunity. That is just mm. the reality. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened here. No, ex exactly. Like the truth is that I love the transfer portal. I think it's, I think overall we're seeing a ton of players transfer right now for a couple mm -hmm. of reasons. First off, it's brand new. So like right. a lot of guys are using it now. A lot of big name guys are using it now because it's their first chance to second. Right. Off, I think you're seeing a lot of the 2021 class transfer because well, there weren't really camps or anything and not no in-person evaluations. I think a lot of guys were just misevaluated last year. Now they have to find a new home where they went to say Ohio state and go, Oh wait, I'm not good enough to play here ever. Right. Maybe I need to drop down and go play for Miami of Ohio. You know what I mean? Where I will get on the field. Yeah. Sometimes that's just course corrections. I also think it's just fair for players. Like, I mean, I know that we don't like to see if I'm a UCF and I don't like that Dylan Gabriel left. He was a great mm -hmm. quarterback and I loved having him here. I thought he fit. I know I thought he fit Gus's system well, but you know what? He signed on to play for Josh Heupel and Jeff Levy. You know, he did that three years ago, four years ago now, whenever it was. And when he got there, he was thrived under those two. And then yeah. Levy left, he thrived under Heupel. He didn't sign on to play for Gus Malzahn. Changes that had nothing to do with him right. like led to that being the case. And while I thought he did well in Gus's system in the limited time he had under it, he didn't feel comfortable in it. That was according to his parents. Why he transferred is he didn't like running as much as Gus's system called for. He didn't feel comfortable doing the things he was asked to do. And you know what? He ended up at Oklahoma where Jeff Levy, his former OC, is because that's what he wants to do with the ball. That's what he's comfortable doing. Why shouldn't right. he get to choose to go where he's comfortable with the system? But the reason he doesn't get to because I'll play a devil's advocate is because there are guys then that don't get opportunities because they're not good enough who then cry and leave for the transfer portal. Well, or they don't like the way things are because they're not the way, like, you know, who would have utilized the shit out of the transfer portal <laughs> is um, uh, Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen was the biggest crybaby at UCLA. He would have been in there ping ponging around, bing bong, gone. Well, like it's, from, it's a one-time transfer thing. So like, it's only going to be one chance to transfer for everyone. Like, I think that he would show that threat is what I'm saying. He'd be like, do this or I'm going to hit the portal. I feel I'm sure there's guys who'd be like that, but there's also a lot of guys who get promised playing time by coaches and then get there and realize that that was a lie or, you know, that's true. or like that's you said about true. Grant Wells, sometimes you just didn't get evaluated properly and say you end up at, you know, for example, UMass and you really want to play power five football. I don't know that Grant PC's Wells available or Syracuse is available at that point. I don't know that he's going to be a good power five. I think I that mean, he wasn't. Tech has nothing else. So, <laughs> so he'll be. I, I know, but I don't know that it's going to be a successful situation for him. That's and what I'm saying. Something I've always said on this show too, is that every transfer transfers for a different reason. Right. And I just, I tend to try to respect those reasons. I know that there's times when it's, you know I mean? Sometimes you may have just gone somewhere and it's just not the right setting for you. You know, maybe it's too far from home and you just miss your, you know, yeah. your family's cooking. Maybe you just, you know, need a better support system than the one you're getting there. There's a million reasons it could be. So I'm fine of with course. it being in place because 
any other, you know, if we're going to call football players student athletes, mm-hmm. then they need to be student athletes the way that we all insist they are to insist that you don't have to pay them because that means them amateur or whatever. Well, students can transfer at the drop of a hat whenever they want. You know, yeah. why does a player have to sit out because he's a transfer? Why do they have to be punished because they're just trying to do what's best for them in some way in their education? It, to me, that's what it's about. I think it's just getting used to it that people need to do there's going to be the players like Wells who choose to move up, but there's also going to be a player like say Isaiah Bowser who came down mm-hmm. from the big 10. I mean, Northwestern and UCF, I'd say, or I'd say UCF's better at football than Northwestern is, but like, you know what I mean? He went from yeah. the big 10 to the AAC is my point because he wanted that chance to be an every down running back yeah, where he wasn't getting it at Northwestern or, you know, Jalen Robinson, who's been great at UCF. He came from Oklahoma you know what I mean? Like he just wanted a chance to stand out more where he blended in at Oklahoma. I don't think there's anything wrong with a guy getting to a place that recruited him and realizing, Hey, I'm going to be 21 before I see the field. You know what I mean? I don't want to wait three years. I want to go somewhere where I have a chance to play. I don't see why they should be necessarily punished for that, but that's just me. I also find it incredibly entertaining in all fairness. So maybe that's <laughs> part of it is I don't see it as this like, Oh my God, the game's changing. I see it as, entertaining i love the storylines that come from it i love like players going around and like moving on and all that's like the caleb williams stuff i thought was hilarious in its own respect you know what i mean yeah the whole stuff at hawaii we talked about uh last show two shows ago that the todd graham story that came out there i think it's a really good way of showing you which programs are healthy and which ones are struggling in some way as well so mm-hmm. i think that there's a lot that can be learned from it and Oh yeah. The other thing is everyone complains when they lose a player in the portal. No one complains when they get a player out of the portal. Just <laughs> remember, it's probably all going to balance out for every player you lose. You'll probably get one back in the end. If not, then your coach felt that you didn't need one back. Well, the coaches, it makes it hard for them. Like I understand it what you're saying. Is that well, yeah, it, it, yeah, it completely job, changes the game plan. It changes who but, they're, how they're doing stuff. So while you say, Oh, you could just pick up more. It's not just that easy. Well, yeah, no, but it kind of. Of course, there's players available. No, but it's not. I I talked to an offensive coordinator this week, and he said, yes, of course, there's players available, but how they fit into your program and then reprogramming everything for them, Mm -hmm. that's not as easy as snapping your fingers. Well, I know it's not that easy, but I also would say with how much coaches tend to get paid, I don't really, I'm not bothered by it that the unpaid players get to move around and they have to adjust their job expectations. That's just how I feel it's, about it's, it. Though. I think it's not just the coach. It's the whole program has to adjust. So it's what again, you're saying is like, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with having to, yeah, if that's fine, but it doesn't, it doesn't make their job easier. What I'm saying is, but oh, you no, think I, I never said, the, I never okay. said make their job easier. I just right. said that there's ways to fix it. You know what I mean? Or yeah, they can like, get, they can get players like, of course, but well, it's like, harder you know I mean? to scramble and get players than to start with where, who you recruited. No, obviously it's better to have yeah. a player that you've developed over time and fits the system and, you know, is mm-hmm. exactly who you wanted, but like, this is a problem for everyone. It's not like only a few teams are going to be hit with it. You know what I mean? So I'm, yeah. you know, I'm just, I'm just not that bothered by it. Same thing with the opt-outs from bowl games. I'm just not that bothered by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just, I still, like I said, I still had fun watching the bowls that we had. I hardly noticed the players that weren't there, to be honest. Like the Rose Bowl, did you notice that Ohio State was missing its top right receivers? Because no. I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't. No. Uh, you know what I mean? I had a ton of fun watching that game still. You know, 
It didn't bother me that we got to see next year's great wide receivers the game early. It didn't bother right. me that some players chose to like not risk injury in a game where a guy got taken off the field in an air cast. You know what I mean? Right. I, you know what I mean? In, in the same vein, I don't want it to seem like I'm not happy that a guy like Matt Corral went out there and tried to play and unfortunately, I mean, he got hurt. So it's like kind of a tough example, but that's what he wanted to do. So good for him for going and doing what he wanted. Yeah. It was important to him. Do yeah. what's important to you. If, you know, focusing on the draft a month early is important to you, then do that. I just, it doesn't bother me. I still had fun in the transfer portal. I choose to look at it as a fun thing for, as a, I guess as a fan slash like Pete person who writes about football for their money. I choose to look at it as fun, not as this kind of catastrophe for this catastrophe for the sport. I think it's a much bigger deal that the playoff games are non-competitive than it is that someone opted out of the peach bowl. I think it's complicated. So I'll I'll leave it at that. (laughs) It is complicated. (laughs) All right. Do you have anything else? Oh wait, I do our records for the season. Okay. And Owen bowls because we only picked three games that actually played. You were Ah. two and one because gotcha. you, you thought Florida was going to beat UCF. I did. Hmm. Uh, I did. Yeah, our totals on the year, I was 70 and 24. You were 56 and 37. Got that out there. We're both nice. in Alabama for the national championship, so nothing will change with that, even if we were including it. Uh, yeah, anything else? No, I think that's it. We covered, we pretty much covered it all. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah, we will figure out when we're going to record again in the next not too long i don't think we'll figure it out though and uh yeah yeah you can find me at dan underscore morrison 96 on twitter you can find me at mlm e-m-i-l-n-e-m on twitter and instagram all right and we are off